We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today, we've got another big draft show coming your way. What we wanted to do in today's podcast is kind of catch up with where we're at with that day one, number four overall pick that the Giants currently own. We wanted to catch up here because it's been a long process. You obviously know where we started You know where we've kind of followed along, but here's where we're at now with all the information we've had to consume over these months with time to reflect on the decision based on what we've heard from general manager Dave Gettleman and the like, and just based on where we feel this franchise should head and in which direction. Because quite frankly, Nick, as we're about to dive into this, I've kind of changed my opinion on what I want to do with the fourth overall pick, and I'll get into that in a little um, but before we do that, Nick, I would kind of want to dive right into where you're at with this. Where are you at right now with the fourth overall pick? Kind of go into all the different directions with that pick that you you sign and that you feel, I'm sorry, and we can kind of bounce back forth ideas and I'll kind of dive into my take and why I've kind of shifted my thought process on the fourth overall pick. Bro, there's been a game of ping pong going on in my mind with me weighing the pros and cons of each of these selections. And I'm excited whichever direction they go, if it is going to be offensive tackle or the blue chip prospect that you and I both covet in Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson, the linebacker, defensive player, whatever you want to call him or classify him as. But right now, I'm I'm having the feeling 
And just from the reports, Daniel Jeremiah says that the Giants are interested in Jedrick Wills. And just from everything that I'm collecting, from everything that Gettleman said, it seems like Gettleman is very open to trading down. That's something that really interests me. Well, I think that's really the interesting point here because we didn't expect him to be open to trading down. And now, based on everything we've heard, including his pre-draft presser that was yesterday, I believe, he openly said, I'm going to start calling teams about trading that fourth over pick. I'm going to make the proactive decision to call teams. Now, he also mentioned that he would like to have a, dr- a trade done before the draft. He doesn't want to be on the clock panicking and trying to make a trade. He also mentioned that the value would have to be there for him to make any kind of trade. And obviously, it takes two to tango. And that's what we'll get to on this podcast, Nick, if it's even plausible to find a trade partner for that fourth overall pick. But it was interesting that he is willing to kind of open up the playbook a little bit and maybe trade that pick. And if he does trade that pick, Dan, it makes me wonder. He has maybe he has similar grades on these tackles, which is something that we prognosticated in the past that he's like, okay, I'm aware as a general manager in the New York Giants that this team has holes and we need to replenish these holes. And maybe he even takes a little bit of ownership in the fact that he made a bad trade in the middle of the lost season by acquiring Leonard Williams for a top 70 selection. And he's like, maybe I need to recoup some of these picks. And I like Tristan Wirfs. I like Jedrick Wills. I like Mekhi Becton. I like Andrew Thomas. If I could trade down and have someone else trade up for even one of those prospects, I'd be totally comfortable getting a blindside protector or a right tackle for Daniel Jones in this offense. And maybe he just feels that is the direction he's going to go. And he's comfortable with maybe three or even four of those top tackle prospects going into this draft. It's interesting, Nick, especially because like, as far as where I'm at with it, Nick, I've shifted my thought process for a number, for a few reasons at, at this point in time, I actually think the best case scenario would be to trade back. Now, I think I don't want to move out of the top 10 and even at 10 with Cleveland, uh, and I think they're a potential trade partner. I wrote, I actually mocked them as a trade partner with the Giants because they're basically my rationale behind this trade was they moved from 10 to four to get Isaiah Simmons, who in this, under this trade scenario, they agree with me that he's the second best player in this draft, regardless of position, obviously non-quarterbacks included. They also look at their roster, which was completely depleted at off-ball linebacker by losing Christian Kirksey. Uh, I think he signed with, I forgot who Kirksey signed. Did he go to the Packers Kirksey? I'm pretty sure. And then, or went to with some team in free agency. And then also obviously losing Joel Schobert, who signed with the Jaguars. Their inside linebacker, their off-ball linebacker depth is the worst in the NFL. And yet I also think because the Browns, if they can get Baker Mayfield to return to 2018 form and not what we saw from him in 2019 with the additions of Jack Conklin and, and everything going on on that offensive side of the ball, they're closer than you think or than I think, than most people think to being one defensive beast playmaker away, a Derwin James type, to becoming a top team. So in my, in my process, they trade up to four to get Simmons, and we'll go into this later, but so I believe they're a potential trade partner because of what they see as potential addition to that defense. You throw you you throw Simmons in there with Miles Garrett and the additions that they've made uh, on the third and first level of that defense. And I think they're closer to contention than people think. So they're a possible partner. Um, but who else do you see as potential trade partners, Nick? If you know my new scenario plays out, or my new best case scenario, I should say, plays out, and the Giants actually do trade down. I wanted to touch on those Browns. I think that's an excellent call because here are the starting linebackers for the Cleveland Browns right now. 
Their Sam is going to be Willie Harvey. Their middle linebacker is Seon Takitaki, and their weak side linebacker is Mac Wilson. That is not something that's going to give you a warm and fuzzy, and you're 100% right with that defense that has a lot of talent. Denzel Ward is going to be hopefully healthy this year. You got Greedy Williams hitting into his second year, so I really like that call. And then obviously the Miami Dolphins is the team. They're one selection behind the Giants. They have a ton of draft capital, but I only see them trading up if they're totally in love with one of those quarterbacks. And it just doesn't seem like the Tua Tungavailoa Miami Dolphins thing is a real thing at the moment. It seems like a lot of people are saying that they're much more into Justin Herbert. So are the Chargers into Justin Herbert? Do they want to run that Eric Coriel vertical type of system that I feel like Herbert is more accustomed to, even though he was in a more horizontal-based system with Oregon? So you, those are the two teams, though. The Chargers and the Dolphins that I feel like the Giants could have trades with if they wanted to tango. But if Tua is lower on these teams' boards, like I'm hearing just from whispers in the wind, then I don't know if they're going to want to, you know, bet that much and go up there to trade there. Well, I think I'll say this, Nick, and I and for me, the whispers that the Dolphins are not interested in Tua, the Dolphins are interested in Herbert, they've started to pick up in over the last week, 10 days. And everything you, and for me, everything I hear over the seven to 10 days before the draft, I throw right out the window. I believe that from what I've heard firsthand, John Fox, I had a chance to interview him uh, for a piece I did back with 24 seven sports a couple years ago. We had an unbelievable conversation off script, off book. And he told me about half of these teams are leaking misinformation on purpose for a specific reason. He told me about the story with, how teams are also sometimes leaking real information. He told me about the story where, you know, he wouldn't confirm it and he doesn't want it on the record, but it's been a long time and I'm willing to tell I'm willing to say because I've also put it on Twitter. They have, the Bears literally traded in front of the Giants at number 9 to get Leonard Floyd because they had good information that leaked that the Giants were taking Floyd at 10 of that of the draft where Leonard Floyd went in the first round of the Bears. They literally made a move because of information. But what he also said is the Giants are one of the teams and there's a, he said there's multiple handfuls of them who are purposely leaking misinformation uh, in order to kind of get their way in the draft. So for me, I'm not buying it. I still think the Dolphins are locked into two. I still think the Chargers would really like Herbert. But my issue with them, because they're obviously the two teams that could trade back in the top 10 with the Giants. And again, I'm not so sure I want to move out of the top 10, and I'm not so sure Gettleman does either. Why do I not want to? Because I think then well, I'll explain this with when I get to why my new ideal scenario for four is to trade back. But first, let me just say this. If it's not the Dolphins, the Chargers, the Browns, I don't see it happening. And I'm not so sure that the Dolphins and Chargers aren't willing to just say, hey, with this truncated pre-draft process, we'll just sit at five. We'll just sit at six. We think we can get our guys at five and six. We don't see any of these teams, the Raiders, who just signed a quarterback and have Derek Carr under contract, the Jaguars, who have made it pretty clear they want to go with that, you know, under one million cap hit for Gardner Minshew at the quarterback position after wiping foals off the books. You know, and and you start to look at these teams, you narrow it down. And this is kind of why in my mock draft that I just put out my three rounder, I had Jordan Love, the fourth quarterback off the board, sliding all the way into the beginning of round three. And I don't I, I think it's a strong possibility too. I really do. Um so for me it's more a concern there, Nick. Um but but do you see that do you see the kind of as we get closer to the draft, these teams will start to kind of feel the panic and feel the, okay, we love this guy. We want a quarterback. Let's not take any chances. That's what I'm hoping, at least. But with everything, I think Gettleman alluded to this in his last presser with Chris Pettit. He wants a trade to happen beforehand because you're literally doing something that you've never done. This is unprecedented. None of these front offices are going to be together. You're relying on this technology, and there's so much that goes into 
making a trade during the draft when the clock is ticking down. And I don't know if Gettleman would wants to really deal with all of that uncertainty. And but it's going to be hard for him not to because their Giants are sitting at four and the Detroit Lions are sitting at three and nobody knows what the Lions are going to do. So a lot is contingent on what Detroit will do at three. A lot of people are just kind of, oh, they got rid of Darius Slay, so they have to go with Jeffrey Yakuda. And that's bullshit. It's not necessarily what is going to happen. I can easily see Detroit trading out of that spot. I could see them sitting tight and selecting Derek Brown. I could see them going up their Isaiah Simmons. It's something that is going to kind of set the path for the Giants. And I, I can kind of see the Giants just staying put at four and taking that tackle that they have highest on their board because they couldn't find the second person to tango with. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly a possibility, Nick. Um, but let me dive into my new ideal process and then I'll explain where I was and where I got, and then we'll kind of go over your thoughts. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking, there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That is Blue Wire, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, Nick. So obviously, you know, and listeners know as well, where I was at this process and where I was for a while with this process was pretty much open to any trade down scenario, but preferably I wanted to sit at four and take Isaiah Simmons. Now, my that was my preference for most of this pre-draft process, but I've had a change of heart, Nick. I got to admit it. I'm not one of those analysts who sits and says, I'm rigid. I have my point of view. I can't change my mind. You're not allowed to change your mind. I don't care about anything. Anyone says I could care less. I can change my mind whenever I want. The point is this whole pre-draft process. We learn a lot. We talk a lot and we research a lot and our opinions can and do change. And mine has, I think the new ideal scenario, Nick, is to trade back if they can, of course, but if a trade back is possible to trade back to five, six or 10, and then go from there. Now, why do I feel this way? There's a couple of reasons, Nick. I want to start with the idea that they could still get Simmons at five, six, or even ten, honestly, if the Browns decide if the Browns are the team that trades up, it might not just be to, to do what I said before, to get Simmons and reinvent that defense and and you know, replenish that devastatingly weak linebacker group that they have. It could just be because they don't feel like in Kevin Stefanski's heavy zone blocking scheme. Any of these tackles make sense to them, really, except for somebody like maybe Andrew Thomas. Because, first of all, they signed Jack Conklin in free agency. At 10, they can't just sit there and draft a right tackle. Conklin's not moving from right tackle. And if they try to put somebody like Wills uh, at left tackle and they draft Conklin, for example, Wills may have a—you know, it's going to take a long time, potentially, for this to work. Remember, the Eagles tried to just flip Andre Dillard— a career left tackle, someone who's only played left tackle, to right tackle last year during his rookie season, and he was miserable. He graded out terribly at right tackle. But when he had a few snaps at left tackle, he looked like the same natural, awesome prospect we saw 
uh, on his tape. So it's 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 a clear prime example. It's not the only one. There's countless examples. But those who think you can just flip a player from the left side to the right side are sorely mistaken. So I don't think the Browns are just going to want to draft one of these right tackles. Obviously, Wirfs has a little bit of experience at left tackle, and he is a, a solid fit for their zone-heavy scheme. But I don't think they're going to—A, I don't think they can guarantee him there at 10. And I don't think that he's as good of a fit as they have for— Andrew Thomas, who can step right into left tackle. He's not like Makai Becton, who doesn't fit their zone heavy scheme. He could fit their scheme, and he could be a day one guy, which is what they want, somebody who can improve that line right away because they don't have the luxury, like even a team like the Giants. The Giants can go into this year with Solder and uh, Fleming if they want as their tackles. They could do it. They could go in with Solder and Gates. They could do it. A team like the Browns, they they don't really have any options at left tackle right now. So... I wouldn't be surprised if they trade up to get Thomas. But my point is, even if the Giants trade back to 5, 6, or 10, Nick, I think there's a shot at Simmons. And if not, they're getting one of these four tackles. And so why have I flipped my opinion? That's one reason. Another reason is simply this. While I love Simmons, Nick, and while I do think he's a unicorn, and while I do think he's probably my second favorite and the second best player non-quarterback in this draft, and when they're going to have a chance at that, I do see potential elite upside from three of these four tackles. Now, I don't see it with Thomas. I understand some people do. I understand he's number one on some people's boards. I get the appeal with Thomas. He's somewhat safe. But for me, he's the only of the four big tackles that doesn't have a lead upside. I don't see it when I watch him. I think his footwork is going to hold him back at the next level. He's not very smooth with his feet. And I think when you see these guys who aren't very smooth in their footwork, translate to the next level, they typically, to me at least, get beat by the best elite pass rushers who can beat them with speed or beat them even more importantly with moves that put their footwork, you know, that put them under fire for having that questionable footwork. And that goes in addition to obviously the other concerns I have with Thomas, uh, which stem back to, you know, just playing in that very run heavy play action scheme at Georgia. But mostly it's that I just don't see the elite upside there. Now, if they draft him, if they traded back to 10 or something and, and Sim and Thomas was the only one left, I'd still be happy with it because he is going to be ready on day one and week one. If one of these four has to start, Thomas is probably going to give you the best game in week one. I mean, maybe Mekhi Becton or maybe Wills, but I'd still probably go with those two. But Thomas has a good, as good a chance as anyone to give you day one production, probably week one production. But I'm thinking more long term, and I'm thinking that if they're going to use this pick on one of these tackles, they really need someone with elite upside, not just pretty good upside, solid starter upside, not this high, Nick, but. Again, why have I shifted my point of view? Because as much as I love Simmons, Nick, I'm not so sure when the Giants are going to have an opportunity to get an offensive tackle prospect as good as these four, Nick. And I'm so sure that finding an offensive tackle is so important in the NFL when you have a rookie quarterback and when you have an offense that has poured assets, first-round assets, into skill players, Saquon Barkley. Evan Ingram, a second-round asset into Sterling Shepard. And although they only had to use a fifth-round asset, Darius Slayton is now one of their core players, somebody they need to build around and somebody they need to help by providing better pass protection for. So in the end, Nick, I came around because I don't really love what I think is going to be left at offensive tackle in round two. I think that's really what it comes down to, Nick. That plus the upside of getting another day-two pick by trading back. The trading back thing I absolutely love, and I can't disagree with you when it comes to the tackles. Like we've talked about, Isaiah Simmons is this blue chip prospect. He can be the face of your defense, and I still stand by that. I 
really, I do not want to pass on Simmons. But so your ideal are, scenario then is still draft Simmons at four. Is that is that no, right? No, my ideal oh. scenario is to trade back and get Jedrick Wills. That would be the ideal scenario. But honestly, my thing is, and I've written about this for Big Blue View and for SI. It's the Giants need to protect their second year quarterback who is in the first year of a new scheme, not just a new scheme, but a vertical base scheme, which means there's probably going to be more time spent in the pocket because in Pat Shermer's scheme, it was a lot of quick game. It was a lot of right. two step, look, one read, throw. If that read's not open, dump it down. That's not going to be the case with Jason Garrett necessarily. Now, it doesn't mean there's not going to be checkdowns. Obviously, there will be checkdowns, but it's more vertical base. So that means there's going to be more time in the pocket to throw. You need to protect that young quarterback, and especially with everything going on COVID-19. We have no idea how much practice time is going to be allocated to these teams to even adjust to this new offense. And if you go out there with these, and I'm not saying use this pick just because of COVID-19. I just think it's another layer to this entire scenario that you need to find that player to hold down the offensive line on either the right or left side for Daniel Jones and this the offense in general. And any of these tackles are going to help the run game, which is something this team significantly needs. I think Mark Colombo can also develop these tackles. And when I look at those other tackles in the second round, as much as I love Lucas Nyang, I know that hip is of concern to a lot of these teams. One key thing I want to point out, important to note, the Giants made it clear, Dave Gettleman made it clear, that the medicals were a big part of the process for them in free agency. They didn't want to take a chance on one of these guys given the process. Now, do you think that might translate, I'm wondering, to the NFL draft? Do they not want to take a chance on one of these? It's going to stink because there's so many of the guys that we like and the targets we want are these guys. Nyang, Biotish, um, Ashton Davis, Antoine Winfield, who, by the way, I was looking back into last night. Winfield played four games in 2018 and four games in 2017. This is a serious risk. Like, I love Winfield. In my mock, I, I, on the board, Win, was Winfield and Davis, and I love them both. And I actually like Winfield's upside more than Davis after watching them. I literally think there hasn't been a single player I've had more fun watching this pre-draft process, Nick, than Antoine Winfield. He's unbelievable. But at five foot nine and 200, under 200 pounds— and having missed that many games at the collegiate level, that's serious risk. So I wonder if it will play into factor. Yeah, I think it could play into factor. The one saving grace of that is the combine was executed. It actually happened before everything fell to yes. shit with COVID-19. So the Giants doctors could have tested a lot of those guys out there. Now, I can't really speak to if they did. But at that time, they had no idea the world was going to go into you know everything that's going on right now. So they could have maybe just evaluated them for the 15 minute time frame they're allotted. I'm not sure. And then been like, okay, we'll bring him in for a pre-draft visit and really evaluate him on our facilities. And obviously that couldn't materialize with everything going on. We don't really have that information, but it's a possibility. And then that would kind of go to your point. Will the giants want to take these players if they are, even if they are at a value, if they're not hundred percent certain on these long-term chronic medical issues of some of these players like Tyler Biotish and Lucas Nyang, and even Ashton Davis, I know from what I understand with Ashton, it was more of a like nagging uh, injuries, like soft tissue. It was tissue just a injuries. groin. It was just a groin for him. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah, didn't so miss that, that many games, by the way. It's not like him and Winfield have different injury profiles to me because Winfield yeah. legitimately missed a ton of games at the collegiate level. Davis did not. Yeah. And Ashton Davis, man, he's, he's slowly, he's one of my favorite safety prospects for the Giants. I really, Completely my one issue. <laughs> My one issue with him is because I watched a lot of his film yesterday. I put up something on Twitter too. My one issue with him is he just uh he can come in a little bit too hot. 
where he doesn't kind of use the right yeah. mechanics coming in the tackle. Now, he's not Grant Delp, but I ain't saying that whatsoever, but he can just come in a little bit too wild a little bit. So some really like shifty, agile guys can kind of make a miss, but he's pretty good at getting his hands on people anyways. Not saying he's Grant Delp, but that would be his, my one knock uh, for him coming downhill sometimes. But I think he's an excellent prospect with a high upside that I hope the Giants look at. But yeah, going back to the original point, though, they need to find a tackle. They need to find a long-term left tackle. They need to find a right tackle right now, more than likely, unless they are comfortable with it going in Gates and Fleming. So that's a position of priority. And you're sitting in the top five with four legit, going to be a long-term starter, more than likely, if you develop them correctly in this league, players sitting right there. And I just feel, I just don't think the Giants are going to let that opportunity slip. Now, I think both you and I agree, though trading back. And I think every Giants, I don't know a Giants fan that's like, stay put at four and select a player. I think every Giants fan wants to trade back, get more day two picks because this draft is really deep in the day two range. And I still think there are fans who probably think the best course of action is what where I was originally at, where we were both originally at, which was just stay at four, draft Isaiah Simmons, you're getting the second best non-quarterback in the draft. And awesome, you're getting Derwin James on your defense immediately. That's freaking awesome. And he's has way more upside to me than Derwin James. You can just look at his age, his production, and his athletic profile to see that, in my opinion. Not way more, but definitely more upside, I would say. Um, I still think that's in play. Uh, I just think the reason I've kind of come off that, Nick, is just what I expect to be available for them uh, at 36 and beyond at tackle. It's less than what I originally thought. Yeah, the one thing I will say, though, with that, though, is Gettleman made a point to say that this tackle class is really deep. And I don't know, that could be him just throwing smoke screens or saying whatever, or it could just be shit talk. Who knows? But like, it's interesting you bring that up, Nick, because I went back over my notes from last year and he said the exact same thing during his pre-draft class or presser last year. He said four, he said four of these positions are thick and he started with offensive tackle. Then when the Shane Ziminens pick came around at 99 or whatever that was, 97 or 99, they said, what the hell happened? Why didn't you take a tackle in this unbelievable tackle draft? And he said, you know, we just missed on the tackles. We felt like at this pick we had just missed on a few guys, We the final few guys we had. So you're you're playing with fire, I think, when you, when you do that, first of all. And second of all, if they're ignoring the position for so many drafts in a row, I don't really think they have as much flexibility to play with that kind of fire. And then third of all, you know, I don't know if he meant that about the big four. I don't know if he meant – because – I'm starting to worry guys like Ezra Cleveland are going to go to some team like the Seattle Seahawks. To me, seems like a perfect fit for him in round one. I don't like Isaiah Wilson. I'm out on Wilson. I think Wilson can be a solid starter in the NFL who's really good in the run game. That's not what I'm taking at 36. I don't want a solid starter with limitations throughout his entire career at pass protection who's great in the run game right away. That's not what I want. And I I see a very, very cap ceiling with Isaiah Wilson. And then you kind of work your way back what other tackles there? Nyang, who has major injury concerns, so I don't see the Giants, based on those injury concerns, taking at 36. And while that's a nice swing for upside, I'm not even sure I want him at 36, considering what you have to pass up and the risk inherent with that hip injury. So now you're looking at those three guys. What else is there? What else is going to be left at tackle? Josh Jones? I don't see any chance he's there in round two at 36. So now you're talking about developmental guys like Ben Barch, Matt Pert. You're talking about Jack Driscoll, who maybe has limited upside. Can't forget Prince, though, either. Yeah, Prince, again, I'm not sold on Prince. I like him. I like him better at like in the 50 range. So Again, what you're what you're missing out on might be too much, and that's kind of why I've shifted my point of view. Secondly, 
I think they really need to get another pick between 36 and 99. I don't think they can afford to leave this draft without one. Even if that means trading back from 36, which ultimately might be the case, to me, it's something they have to strongly consider. In this draft, with this much talent between pick 36 and 99, it's just a true damn shame if they don't have a pick there. Now, again, would I prefer Jadeveon Clowney or wait for it, Nick? Wait for it. Leonard freaking Williams, because I don't think the Jets were franchise tagging him. And I don't think anyone had any real interest in him, like the Giants did at least, in free agency. So he's probably going to hit free agency. The Giants were probably going to sign him to a deal. And then they would still have the fucking 68th overall pick. And I can't stand it, Nick. It's so frustrating. But because they don't, it's spilled milk. They dumped the pick for some odd reason. They're dumping 68th overall picks on Leonard Williams free agents and, you know, similar picks on supplemental picks like Sam Beal with major injury concerns that he came into the NFL with, with the shoulder. And it's just, it's frustrating that they don't value these picks as highly as we do. And I know there'll be people in my mention saying, look at all the best number 68 overall picks Are any of these guys good. But it's like, okay, look at pick 66, look at pick 62. Like you can't use that. Like, yeah, there's going to be misses a lot in the draft. That's the freaking draft. There's also going to be hits. And when you hit on the guy, you get him on a four-year contract against the cap for 1.5 million for four years. So the upside there is through the roof. So that's why I value those picks. I'm not a huge fan of the uh, look. These are all the pick number not 89s in the black because that is, right. really doesn't give you any context at no all. No context of, whatsoever. Yeah. To me, it really it's does. almost as bad as a this guy played at X college, so he's going to be a bust in the pros. That it's like helmets go worst. I hate the people who use the people who play at colleges like in twenty in 2008. Remember this bust from 2008 in the first round at defensive end from USC? Like, dude, come on, you have to evaluate these players independent of the school, but. Yeah, you I never know. helmet scout. You, you yeah, never helmet never scout. Helmet. It looks like our our friend Dave Gettleman was into Chuma Adoga and maybe Trey Pipkins last year because those were two offensive tackles selected at 91 and 92 right before O'Shane Z- Zimenez. So that's and actually wasn't there really somebody who the Pats, uh, the either the no, the Ravens or the the who the Rams take? I think the Rams is the guy I want. The guy the Rams took is the guy I wanted there at offensive tackle. Uh, I'm trying to forget. He would think he was the Oklahoma, the kid from Oklahoma. Not Cody Ford, the other one. Bobby Evans. Bobby Evans. That's the yeah. guy I wanted them to draft there at 99. He was my target. Um, and what what pick did he go? He went 97 and O'Shane went 95. So O'Shane actually went oh, a little so he bit. he actually went before him. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So they, yeah. Dave didn't like him as much. I, I remember O'Shane Zimenez, though, coming out because he was now at the Senior Bowl. And that year, I was in charge of the uh, for the Senior Bowl, uh, the defensive lineman for the North team. And O'Shane was actually on the South, South squad. But, like, I got to, like, just – not really interact with him as much, but I got to see how he just like associate with people, talk with people. And he seemed like a really like nice young man. And he did well down there. He was really quick and everything like that. And I felt like he was just like a better Jalen Jelks who was in my group at that time. He ended up going to the Cowboys. I'm not really sure exactly what ended up happening with him, but I really think, man, looking Oh, at I got head, no issues with Oshie. No, I, oh, oh, I know. I know you don't. I know you, you don't. You think I'm just about saying. what he did last year in a, in, a, in, a, in a bubble. I mean, he came right in and was productive basically week one of a rookie season for a guy who played at ODU and like came in with the with the counter moves and with with a plan immediately from week one, which enabled him to be productive right away in his rookie career. There's no issue with that. If you're getting someone, obviously he wasn't ultra productive. He wasn't a breakout player or anything, but somebody who's productive immediately as a third, as a basically a fourth round pick, a late third round pick, a supplemental third round pick, I'll take it. Yeah, a hundred percent. But what I was going to say was looking at what Gettleman was talking about last presser 
about the edge position and how he feels comfortable with some of the guys that he brought into the roster, Kyler Fackrell, and the guys right. that he already drafted. He is really putting a heavy precedent on the development of Lorenzo Carter hitting a significant third year just stride and O'Shane yes. really developing. And I think the Giants are going to have to put a lot on those things. I don't know, and not the transition from the offensive tackle position, but I don't know where the Giants are going to find edge help if they don't trade back and get more picks because I don't know if they're going to take somebody at 36 if a guy like Bond is not available. Because you look at some of the other guys, I think Oquara, I think it's a little rich for Oquara. And you got guys like Josh Uche, who's like a hybrid linebacker. Terrell Lewis has so many injury issues. Curtis Weaver looks like, he doesn't look like an edge rusher. I think he's a very productive, I think he actually has a pretty quick first, second step for a guy who's 265 pounds, but he's not exactly an edge bender. And then Daryl Taylor out of Tennessee is another player who has some issues and has some character baggage, but he's pretty twitched up and has good birth, as does Oquara. But I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm concerned about the Giants' uh, ability to find edge pressure right now because if, if Carter and O'Shane don't develop significantly, man, you're going to have guys like Baker, Beal, and Bradbury covering for like four four seconds and they're just going to be getting toasted to man coverage. I think I'm you a little play. less concerned than you, I guess I would say. Edge, especially, you know, in comparison to like offensive tackle, I just feel like the edge guys that are going to be there on day two, I kind of like more than what I've – just because I really am starting to think that at OT, it's just going to be a – fire the people are firing in into the back end of that first round for the ot they like there's just so much desperation there oh yeah dude you i'm hearing right now isaiah wilson and ezra cleveland are both names that are yeah. going into the first round along with austin jackson that's like six possibly oh seven God. offensive tackles dude i want to talk and, about a nightmare scenario the giants drafting austin jackson is a nightmare scenario for me uh, I would hate every second of that, to be honest. God. Nothing against Austin Jackson. He has great size. He's a pretty good athlete, but man. He's a lot a against. Next. No, no, no. A lot against Austin Jackson. All <laughs> his size, athleticism, and frame. He is a bad tackle. We're just expecting to magically get better because he looks the part and can move really well. And that kind of leads us to what we were talking about about 10 minutes ago, too, Dan, is you have those type of tackles sitting there at the 36 range, potentially. Do you really want to pass on someone as polished as Jedrick Wills? Do you really want to pass as yeah. pass on someone who's going to be a solid player in the NFL like Andrew Thomas or someone with the upside of Mekhi Becton, the upside of Wurtz? I don't think Gettleman's going to want to do that. Gettleman does not want to be selected as high ever again. Yeah, I mean, they don't want to be selecting this high ever again. They have selected this high for three straight years, though, right now. So, I mean, that's a whole other story, but... But as far as just the counterpoint to what you were saying before, I do kind of – I like Okwara a lot. I really do like him. I watch him, and he just, to me, looks like if this guy didn't have the injury concern, if this guy just had a little bit more of a complete game, he could be potential, like, first round we could be talking about. Like, to me, like, Okwara, Chase on, eh, I don't really – like, if they're both there, maybe I'll take Chase on. But I wouldn't – I don't think Chase on is a player who should be taking 20 picks before someone like Okwara to me. That's just the way I see those two players when I watch them. That could be off, but I, I, I don't I don't see it as much with Chase on as some people do. Um, and uh, he'll probably end up being a first-round pick, though. In my mock, he slid into the 20s, which I think ultimately may happen for him um, in this draft. I think I, yeah, I think I'm higher on uh, Caleb on Chase on than, than you are, to be honest. I just love I just love his movement skills, and I think he's so fluid. Oh, they're and there. So good like at the upside. Yeah. Sorry, finish what you were saying. No, no, I just think he's so good at avoiding blocks, and I just think he's so explosive and uses his speed so well, has some moves, could develop a little bit more counter moves, but I, I think I think there's a lot of upside with Chase on. I, that's true. Like, uh, that's obvious. I think, um, to anyone who studied him and I would never, so I would never deny that, but then why wasn't the production there with him, especially on that defense? That, Nick? Why that was torn the production a, that there? torn ACL, man? I think people like forget okay. that 2018, he missed 
uh, a lot of the year, maybe even the whole year with that. I think it was the whole year with the torn ACL. And then he comes back and he got a slow start to 2019. But then those last like four or five games, 2019, he was pretty productive. And I, I just think a lot of people are kind of sleeping. I remember hearing about, I had a, one of my buddy works in their um, scouting department for LSU. And uh, he's a student. Uh, student scout, so I don't know if he gets paid or anything like that. But he he told me about Chase on when Chase on was like a freshman, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I just remembered his name because it was so unique. And then you know I forgot about him for a while, and then I saw him out there on Saturday. I was like, dude, that guy is explosive, and he has some moves, and he's going to be very exciting. And now you hear about him as top twenty pick. I think that's fair. And I'm kind of scared he might end up going to the Cowboys. That could be a, a shitty scenario for the Giants, especially because they don't really have the tackles right now to be blocking Demarcus Lawrence and Caleb on Chase on. Yeah, and then Chase Young, who's almost, in my opinion, as close to a lock as Joe Burrow is to the Bengals to go to the Redskins at two. So you throw that in the mix. And again, circling back to the original point of this podcast and where I'm at, yeah, I'm starting to move towards tackle in round one. I'll admit it. I'm there. It took me a while to get there. But again, I still think, Nick, and we'll go over this with you because I want to get— Bring this all full circle and see where you're at now versus where you were at before. We already went over where we were both at before. Where I'm at now, trading down, I'm still debating what my perfect scenario is. Trade down and get Simmons or trade down and get a tackle. It's really close for me, and I never thought it would be this way. I probably would still lean Simmons because of how much I love Simmons. But, like, there, there's a real issue, I think, with with avoiding one of, with not getting one of these four tackles based on, A, how ridiculously strong— the defensive lines and edge positions are going to be in the NFC East and B how rare it is to find a tackle prospect like these and C how rare, you know, how the upside I see with three of these four tackles. I really think if things go right, Wirfs, Wills and Becton can be top notch borderline elite players at their position for a decade for the giants. Like they just haven't had that option. And like, are they Joe Thomas? No, they're not Joe Thomas because Joe Thomas was as close to a lock to be that, you know? And even Tyron Smith, who wasn't as much of a lock as Joe Thomas, but was damn close, I don't think they're that level. But again, we're talking about, we're not talking, when we're talking about Joe Thomas and Tyron Smith, we're talking about the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's of the position. They don't have to be the Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady's of the position, but do I think that that, you know, maybe they could be a Russell Wilson, and that's not even a great example because of how much I love Russell Wilson. But I'm trying to think of, like, you know, maybe a Phillip Rivers, but better than Phillip Rivers, a Ben Roethlisberger of the position. Yeah, I think these guys can be a Ben Roethlisberger position. I don't know if, I, again, I don't know if I feel that way with Andrew Thomas. And I, I guess I'll lead to this point. I, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Nick. So let's transition to this. One, would your ideal scenario be trade back and get Simmons or trade back and get a tackle? And two, do you do you feel the way I feel about Thomas that you don't, totally see the ceiling with him or is and or you know question part two to this question is he higher on your board than i have him and if so why okay so first we'll go with the i think it's a lose-lose and a win-win situation right i want to trade back but it's a lose-lose because you're going to lose out on one either whichever one you don't choose offensive tackle or linebacker you're losing out if you don't choose simmons you're losing out on a potential game changer Derwin James type player. If you don't choose a tackle, Daniel Jones probably going to get murdered back there in the pocket. So either way, I'm going to like their choice, but either way, I'm going to be like, oh man, that's going to be a negative. It's, it's the only way to really face it. I don't want to pass on a blue chip prospect like Isaiah Simmons. No way. But I think it is right. necessary right now. I think you have to build that offensive line, especially you build your team to defeat the teams in your division. 
and you need to be able to block these pass rushers, and you well, need Nick, to be let me able- cut you off for one second, though, because I want to say this, and I think it's important to note. If the Giants and Lions don't take Simmons, there's a chance that he could fall all the way to the pick they trade back to. There's a really good chance. People don't realize it. A lot of the teams picking above aren't aren't t- don't really project as teams that are going to be looking for a player like Simmons. So my question to you is this. If, for, for say, they traded back all the way to 10 with the Browns or even to 9 with the Jaguars, if the Jaguars are maybe more interested in these quarterbacks than they've led on to believe, would would you take Simmons or would you take a tackle there, assuming that you're going to get your fourth or third choice, most likely your fourth choice at tackle? If they traded back that far, exactly. I think Wills would be off the table. Beckton would be off the table. Worfs or Thomas might be off the table. And if it's sitting there at 10 and I'm choosing between maybe, say, one of those tackles and then Isaiah Simmons— I, I might just count my losses. I know I have a lot of picks. I could trade up later on and maybe secure one of those top tackles later, whichever one you value most, Winoga or Jones, and select Isaiah Simmons. But I think my ideal scenario, and I flip-flopped on this in my mind before, is trade back and get one of these tackles to ensure that you have that just pillar on your offensive line to grow yeah. with Daniel Jones. I'm, I think I'm, that- really, I'm really close to that, Nick. I'm really close to getting to the point where I, I, I kind of want one of these tackles over Simmons. It's crazy. I didn't think I'd get here because of how much I like Simmons and because just because you're getting with Simmons, you're getting not only a unicorn player on this defense, you're getting someone who I feel confident is one of the best players in this class. And I don't know if I feel confident about that with any of these tackles. Again, I think they can be there, but I don't know. So it's crazy, but need is taking over for me. It really is, Nick. I'm I'm literally going to be the meme every Sunday when we watch Isaiah Simmons make game-changing plays. I'm going to be the meme of the uh, of the character laying in the bed with the picture frame, and then it yeah, goes yeah, and it looks at the picture frame. It's just Isaiah Simmons and Clemson Tigers gear. Wolverine, it's, I'm pretty sure, right? And then yes, it is Wolverine. On to Andrew Thomas too. So I feel I'm higher on Andrew Thomas than you are, but my my thing is. I see what you're talking about. He has some struggles that I don't know if he's going to be able to fix, but he has so many traits that are going to lend him to be a long-term starter in this league that is a good starter. He might not have the upside of being as good as Wills or Werfs or Beckham but, if, they, if they're if they maximized. But but wait, Nick, because that's... I don't. I want to make this clear. That's exactly what I'm... What you just said is is a, to a T what I'm saying. I, oh, I, I think I he's going to definitely be along... I think he is a... Not definitely. None of these guys are definite, especially not at offensive tackle. But I think he has a really good chance, maybe as good a chance as any of these guys to be a long-term starter. But a long-term starter at tackle is somebody who I wouldn't... A long-term pretty good starter at tackle, I should say, is somebody who I wouldn't want over Isaiah Simmons. I, I'll be clear with that. I would If, if he's only going to be a pretty good starter, I wouldn't want that. So my question to you is, I see a lead upside with these three other 3-0 tackles. Now, my question to you is this. One, do you see the same lead upside with Thomas? And if not, do you, do you, have, do you disagree with that any of the other three can get there as well? I think any of them could reach top upside given the right Thomas. development. You're saying given you're saying the, Thomas give, could be one of the best tackles in the NFL. Best tackle in the NFL is kind of hard to say. I think the no, footwork, no, 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 the, not best, like not Joe Thomas, like what no, like we were saying before, the 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 Roth Rivers type. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I'm saying I think his I think his foot speed. I, I kind of agree with where you're going, but I still feel like I'm higher on Andrew Thomas than you are because I, I feel he's a left tackle that you can trust out on an island, which Georgia put him out on an island plenty yeah. of times. So you could slide protection to your right side, leave him with a edge rusher. And you know what? Even against speed rushers, he does a solid job. It's just sometimes his footwork can be a bit clunky, like you said, and he will not be able to, and he'll get beat. And then when he gets beat, he 
lunges at his waist and he tries to just use his length and rely on his length, which we see in the NFL. It's not ideal. It's not great technique, but it's something that NFL tackles do and it could be successful. Is he David Bakhtari? No, he's not. He doesn't have those kind of movement skills, but I still think he could be a good starter and maybe with the right system where they won't put him out on an island, maybe he could develop into that Pro Bowl uh, top what seven tackle at the position, something like that. But I kind of, I know what you're saying. I do feel like there's a higher ceiling for wills. There's a higher ceiling for Beckton. There's a higher ceiling for worse. I just feel like I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit higher on Andrew Thomas as a whole than you are. You probably are. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm too low on Thomas. If the giants trade back to 10 and they get Thomas. Good. I'm happy with it. Like you said, he's proven. He's going to probably be an adequate starter no matter what. Um, and you can leave him on an island. I mean, we've kind of we've seen it. I, the leave him on the island thing, Nick. I'm a little bit less sold on than you because we've seen it at the SEC level. But to me, the the red flags with him are that are are directly related to will that translate to the NFL level? Because I've seen this story too many times with a guy who has footwork that I that I don't fully trust and balance issues that I don't fully trust. And when you start to try those things like lunging at the NFL level, and when you start to match those up against what you'll see week after week on the edge at the NFL level versus what you're seeing week after week, even at the SEC level, literally, even at the SEC level, we, we saw this with a different position, but we saw this with DeAndre Baker last year. I mean, he dominated two straight years at the SEC level, but when he had to start facing NFL receivers week after week and not, you know, a fifth rounder, which he's probably seeing a bunch on the boundary, it, it, it looked a little different. Yeah, one thing I'll say about Baker is I think a lot of his struggles last season were all in his head and was comprehension of the system. And from what I've heard, like inside the building with the Giants, is he was just he was like falling asleep in meetings and he was not an ideal player, which is really weird because I feel like Gettleman puts a high precedent on those high character type of guys. And Baker does not seem like he was exactly that guy. And I remember hearing those concerns coming out of the draft. Yeah. And I think he really struggled to comprehend that complex system. I think this system will be better. I, I actually like I'm trying to think of like reps where Baker just got absolutely beat off of like athletic problems. Yeah, a lot it of wasn't his, a lot. There weren't a no, lot. It wasn't it was a lot, which is encouraging, which is all encouraging. encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think him and Bradbury will form a good youthful, uh, because Bradbury's like, what, 26 going on 27, cornerback tandem, and hope, and they can both excel in man coverage, and they can both stay in phase, do all those kind of things, so I think that is good. I just uh, really hope he really hope he can comprehend the system, which is not, it doesn't seem as much complex as that pattern match betchers. We hope, yeah, we hope, because you're right. I mean, just like you said, you made a point of it. As we're watching that All-22 throughout the year, he did a really good job of staying in phase, and that's probably what you want most from a cornerback, especially as you project forward, like stay in phase and coverage. That's I would put that probably as the number one trait of importance for that position. Now, why did it not always translate to production? You know, we're, we're banking on, hopefully, that it was more of a mental thing, and that just in general, going from year one to year two will help you in that regard, but also obviously a more simplified system. Yeah, of course. But back to the number four pick, man. Yeah. If I had to just, if I had to right now sitting in this chair, talking in this microphone to you, my friend, Dan Schneier, assign something to assign my pick, I would have to say trade back and then select your top tackle. Okay. I think that I think that's where I'm going to go. And I know I, I and again, I'm going to be missing the fact that we did not draft the Giants did not draft Isaiah Simmons. That sucks. I hate that. But I do feel like the long-term development of Daniel Jones is the most imperative thing. And given the fact that you're moving to this vertical-based offense, this is going to be a first year for Daniel Jones in this offense. The fact that you're in the NFC East for all these top pass rushers, and the fact that you really just don't have other options, and you have no long-term solution at left tackle. We're just playing this 2020 right now with Nate Solder there. After that, he's probably going to be released if he plays bad. And then what do you have at left tackle? You don't. 
So you need to be able to bring bodies into that position. The more competent offensive linemen you have, the better. You need starters both long-term at left tackle and on the right side right now. Yeah, you know what, Nick? I think I, um, I think I know, I know, <laughs> it's crazy stuff, especially with where we were at and like the early process of watching these guys on tape and evaluating them. It seemed pretty clear cut, like they got a shot at Simmons, take him. But as I think more about it, and I hate to draft like this, I hate to worry about things like like uh, need positions of need and scarcity. But you have to worry about that because. It's too important of a position. Positional value of an offensive tackle is just too damn high. And it's important for good franchises to factor in positional value when making their big decisions. And considering how high, how important, you know, the positional value of offensive tackle, the scarcity of prospects like the three I like, and even Thomas I'm fine with, I guess, you know, a little concern there, but fine with. When you factor all that in, I think I'm where you're at. I think trading back and taking one of these tackles is moving into the number one priority for me. And it's crazy that I'm there, but I think I'm there. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to like think if the Giants didn't do that and they went Simmons, which we would both like, obviously we would love that. But what tackles are you bringing in right now? I think the only one that really strikes me that doesn't have huge red flags is Prince Tegawanoga. And then you look at guys like Matt Purr. He needs so much development. He yeah. needs to. He needs so much more strength and power for the NFL. Ben Barch, he's going to be a guard. I love Ben he's Barch. probably going to have to be a guard, right? He has like sub, what is it? I don't have his arm. inch arms, I think. Yeah, I think it might even be sub 33. And that, sub 33, teams, maybe. That's teams crazy. look at that. I actually like Ezra Cleveland's movement skills, but he's another one who's going to need some strength. He's going to need he's a little He's going to go round one, I think. That's the biggest issue there. And then Sadiq Charles, who has – I don't really know. I, we still don't know why he was suspended from LSU for like yeah, six yeah, games. Yeah. But he has good movement skills as well. And I look at Isaiah Wilson. I just – I can't uh, – I, I think he can move better than I originally gave him credit for, but he has absolutely no concept of how to use his hands with timing and placement and he's yeah. such a tonger and it just it just is not a disaster waiting to happen to me like if you're taking a, the Wilson types you can't you should never take before before round three to me because there's so much there's his up, upside to me is so capped so capped is upside like yeah he he's gonna be a lot of able to help you week one in the run game that's that you can't say that about every tackle in this guy can't say that about Ezra Cleveland you might not even be able to say that about somebody like Josh Jones potentially uh, but I think he will but uh, but um but uh but with but with somebody like Wilson like the ceiling to me is way too capped and you talk about Charles like do I like Charles yeah I like him as a developmental prospect though Nick like I don't like him at 36 at all or anywhere near there so like that I think is what kind of sold it for me nick i think if we're looking for you know eventually why i came to this conclusion it's that i just don't like what's going to be left i just don't like how things shake out when they go simmons versus when they go tackle and it's and that's the worst way to draft i know it i know it's been tried and true that you gotta draft for value you gotta draft players and not positions but i think i like these tackles enough in the top four now that i'm that i'm not don't feel like i'm fully drafting by position when i go one of them yeah, and that's kind of what the the point is too. He, I like what you just said. You draft position instead of the uh, the player and all that. Yeah, I get that, but there's not a. I I obviously have Isaiah Simmons higher than these tackles, but I don't think it's a huge disparity. It's not like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face there whatsoever when it comes to taking a player as talented as Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs or Inchitaz McKaybeck and what have you, because those guys are really good players too. Like I have high grades on those guys as well. And I'm sure the giants do, 
but you might have a little bit higher on Isaiah Simmons, but you have to factor in the positional need, and you have to factor in offensive tackles just more important than a defensive space player or however you want to classify Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to note, too, that you know something Joe Judge said during his pre-draft presser was that we're not just going to draft a player because we think that he can help us week one of a 2020 season. We want to draft somebody who we think is going to help us long term. And that, that to me, speaks volumes about that first pick, but also you know, it tells you that they have, they, they're not fully locked into this, okay, Gettleman wants to make a splash in his final year, potentially before he retires. And, you know, I've been seeing notes about how, like, just people looking into the fact that Gettleman is bringing guys like Chris Pettit uh, into his pre-draft presser, which we've never seen before, kind of unprecedented. And, and maybe that's kind of showing, like, hey, guys, this is it. I'm going to retire and turn it over. Now, again, like I told you on the last pod, Nick, I'd be pretty devastated if the Giants have another awful year and they just then they just transition to Chris Pettit and Mar and Maris and one of them the Mara boys as as their next GM, quote unquote. Like a It'd probably be Kevin Abrams. Abrams and Pettit yeah. and just a group GM thing from within. That would be pretty disappointing to me, to be honest. I think they're gonna need a fresh outside view if it fails again, because then they're if another bad season here, Nick, and they're getting into like Brown's Jets range with how many losses they've racked up over the last few years. This is the third straight year they're drafting in the top 10. And even if you go a little further than that into the final years of Reese, they had back-to-back top 10 picks with Eli Apple and Eric Flowers. That was 2015-2016. So, like, 2015, 2016, 2018, 2019, 2020 are all top 10 pick years. Five of the last six years they've picked in the top 10. If they do it again, there needs to be a blow-up. Like, the way I see it, there needs to be a freaking blow-up because— you can't keep <laughs> you can't you can't or at least you can't do the same thing by hiring another within in-house in-house GM at least the way I see it but you know that that doesn't that that's that's long term Nick we don't need to touch on that now no nah, yeah it's going to be it's <laughs> I would hate to see it uh just blow up like that it it, it would be Browns and Jets like because Obviously, those teams always have these two, three-year cycles, and they just get rid of everybody, and they expect different things, and it's just like in the definition of insanity. What is it again? It's you uh, do the same thing, but you expect different results, yeah. and that would that would really suck ass. But the one touching on the offensive tackles just a little bit more. Sure, yeah, I would and love sure- to touch on. I downright want you to touch on these tackles. <laughs> let's let's dive into it, because especially if we're leaning in this direction now. Yes. So I. If the Giants do trade back like we want to and then select, say, Wills or Tom, whatever the big four, that's mm-hmm. great. They get, say, two day two picks. I'm fully for the Giants going and doubling down and selecting another tackle whenever, oh, say, yeah. in the 80s or 90s, somewhere around that, maybe even with pick 99, to bring in another tackle who can compete on the right or left side because we don't have a long-term solution right now. If you don't do this— you're still going to be somewhat thin at tackle. You have Cameron Fleming, which is great, and then you're relying on Nick Gates, but I kind of think Nick Gates is going to be relegated to the inside. I think that's kind of hard to say at this moment because he has solid tape on both sides, but I feel like the Giants are putting a pretty high— uh, and, and Gettleman referred to this in his first presser, putting a lot of— uh, putting a high precedent, a high value on Gates, and he thinks Gates is a good player, has a lot of faith in him. But if the Giants don't select that top offensive tackle, then you're— I don't know, man. That's just that, that to me. Just the combination of Cameron Fleming and Nick Gates, and then Nate Solder, and then say a pick in the '90s or the pick in the '60s or whatever. If they do trade back and say select Isaiah Simmons with that first selection, it's that'd be really concerning to me for the long-term value of this team. And that's what obviously they're building for, especially if they're going to turn it over to Abrams or Pettit or whomever. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's I very think you need to add bodies. You need to add bodies, man. Before we wrap up the show, Nick, I did want to touch on a couple other things. The first would be, as we're discussing the fourth overall pick and where we've gone with this and where we stand now, are there any nightmare scenarios in round one um, that you could foresee for the Giants? Foresee? I don't realistic necessarily foresee. nightmare scenarios. Okay, realistic nightmare scenarios. They don't trade back and they like Derek Brown. Okay, I'll take you one step further than on that. Realistic nightmare scenario, they trade back and take Derek Brown at any spot. Nightmare. <laughs> nightmare. Nightmare, Nick. And, uh, and I like Derek Brown. I think he's probably one of the better players in this class overall. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. They've they got to be done on the interior defensive line, especially done with investing key assets. Okay, you want to sign someone in free agency? You really believe in this rotation? Go ahead. Use your cap there. I don't care about the cap anyway. I'm, I think they're going to be totally fine on the cap for many years, and they always are. You want to go ahead and use a developmental fifth or fourth or any day three pick on another interior defensive lineman? Fine. You see a guy you love, you love his tape, you think he's really good? Okay, you can take the position there. Have a luxury pick on day three. But there is there is no spot where they can afford to take an interior defensive lineman, even if they hadn't built out their roster the way they have, pouring every asset they can, it feels like, into the interior defensive line. It's still never worth it to me. It's just never worth it. It's a position that you can find in so many ways, <laughs> a variety of ways. You can pay it in free agency. Javon Hargrave somehow moved teams. Like, why is he, you know, why would anyone let somebody like Hargrave leave their club, right? You think about that. Why would the Steelers allow that? Because they know they can find interior defensive linemen. They've been doing it for years, and they haven't had to use first-round picks to do it. You know, trade a fifth for Clayus Campbell. The list goes on and on here, Nick, including the guys that you just find later in the draft. One of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL is Grady Jarrett. Where did the Falcons draft him? I think they drafted him in the fourth round, if not the third round. So, you know, this list goes on and on, Nick, but again, that would be my nightmare scenario. Any any scenario that plays out with Derek Brown on this roster after day one. Can you just imagine the, 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 the audacity of Dave Gettleman to sit there, draft Dave, Derek Brown, and tell you, well, he was the highest-graded guy on my board, and I can never have too many guys at one position. Yeah, you can have too many guys at one position, Dave. You can. Believe it or not, you can. The opportunity cost, man. The opportunity cost right. of selecting a player like Derek Brown would be it's so tremendously bad for the Giants. I, I, I would, and I love Derek Brown. He's actually, I think, my fourth, fourth overall prospect or something like. He's, a, he's so talented, but that's just not where the Giants are right now. And I'm sure Gettleman knows that. And I think, like we said this on the podcast, I think it's fun to poke fun and talk about it because it's Dave Gettleman. He's kind of this pariah and stuff like that. But I, I don't think that's the direction they're going to be going. But another nightmare scenario with another very talented player that I love would be the Giants going wide receiver at four. Yeah, I, that's another nightmare for me. But <laughs> I, that's one That one I don't see as realistic. I think that you know, the way Gettleman evaluates players and, and, and values positions, mo most importantly, the way he values positions, there w there's there's very, uh, it's very unlikely he'll go receiver. But on the flip side, the way he values positions and doesn't understand positional value, in my opinion, at all, I think it's his biggest flaw as a GM by far. I think that Brown is is somewhat realistic. It's not that realistic. I'm not that worried about it yet, Nick, because he has so many good tackles to choose from too. But it's it's something that I think has a possibility, as crazy as it sounds, that he might just be like, this guy's just too good. He's too high on my board. I have to take him if they trade back to 10 or something like that. All right. So l let me ask you this, Dan. Put, put you on the spot for one second. Las Vegas has two picks. They go call into the Giants for 12 and 19, and then they threw in two day two picks. Would you entertain that? 
I don't think it's going to, I don't think the Giants would get all that for, for four. I think 12 and 19 is probably on par with the draft trade. But now I use a different trade value chart. And just this was interesting, by the way, Nick. So let's start. I'll start by answering your question. Even if it's, just, well, I'll circle back to that. Let's say this. What, what I think was interesting is what Dave Gettleman said when asked about the trade value chart. He basically said no teams are stupid enough to use the Jimmy Johnson chart anymore. And then he said there's about three different variations going around. I use one from uh, RJ White, one of the editors at CBS Sports developed that I think has been on par with what we've seen actually happen in the NFL over the last of a shorter time span. I think he used five years to kind of get a better grip of what the NFL has, has kind of moved toward on that level. Now, everything will be different because like, if you look at the trade value chart, the bears gave up way more than the value chart to any value chart says RJ's any of the three Dave Gettleman's referencing to move up one spot for Trubisky. And that those type of things will happen during desperate times when you're desperate to get a player. But in general, I think using that chart 12 and 19 kind of settles in as what it would cost to move up to four. So on that, because for example, I used the chart to, to make my mock trade in my mock uh, with the Browns at 10. And what I got was 10, 41, and 97. So I think 12 and 19 probably the cost of the value of 19 is equal to or more than 41 and 97 because it really drops off after you get outside of the top 60. So anyway, back to this. So let's say it was just 12 and 19. Should, should we settle on that? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine with me. Okay. So 12 and 19, would I do it? So that's where it gets tough for me, Nick, because I think if you move back to 12, there's a really good chance you miss out on Simmons plus all the tackles. So then if you're missing out on Simmons and all the tackles in this scenario, let's just say, my options now at 12 are one of the best receivers, Lamb or Judy probably, assuming the Raiders moved up, so they're not going to take him. My other options are reach a little bit on Josh Jones, who I really have some concerns with compared to the big four, but I'm fine with. I do like him a lot, and I like him considerably more than any of the other tackles. He's my clear OT5. My other option would be, you know, somebody you like, Chase on maybe all the way at 12. But what, uh, you know, what else do I have to choose from there? McKinney, maybe the safety out of Bama, who I think is, you know, a good prospect. Henderson, I love, but can they really afford to take another cornerback? And I think he'd be my highest graded player on the board right there, Henderson, at any position. But again, can they really afford to take a quarterback? So that's the problem I have with that. Will it be fun to have that 19th pick? Sure. It would be awesome. We could, you know, the Giants could do so many things with it. But I think the, the opportunity, the, the, the potential to miss out on one of these four tackles or Simmons, it's it's too much for me. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to weigh like what my dream scenario would be if that trade were to happen. And let's say realistic scenario. So all four sure. of the tackles are gone. Isaiah Simmons is gone. And I'm looking at maybe because you still have 36. If you can get Bond with one of those picks – and I mean, you could get Ruiz and then still have a high 36, but I'm looking at, you could still get Patrick queen. He could play a linebacker. Who's really rangy for I you as well. And I do love queen. I forgot about queen. I actually think queen, I don't want to cut you off. So I just want to no, say of that course. you're right. Queen would probably be a top. It, Henderson would be number one, but I wouldn't want him to position. Jan, Lamb would be number two, but I wouldn't want him to position. Queen would probably be the target. So, okay, go on. Yeah. And then I, I think Josh Jones, I think that's, Okay, that would be so a solid. I think he's somebody who just needs development, and I have a lot of faith in Mark Colombo's ability to develop younger tackles and younger. Well, in that scenario, tackles. Nick, by the way, you're gonna you have to hope that Jones is still on the board there because again, at 18, I really think the Dolphins would probably take him there. 
Um, and, and I know some people think Jones is going later. I think, I think that was one of the unders you could cash in on the juice on it now is terrible for the props, but that was one of my favorite unders early in the game. Josh Jones, I think he started at like under 26 and a half, uh, to go before 26 and a half, which I think is almost a lock in this class. He's too good to not. And, tackles too big of a need for every team across the NFL. But if you could lock in Queen and Jones, Nick, is that kind of your scenario here? You lock in Queen Jones and you still have 36? I don't know, man. I, I, I might actually put Caleb on above if we're saying Caleb on is going to be available at 12, which I would imagine that you he would, would take be. him over Queen. I think I would. Yes. Okay. So I'm the opposite there. I would take Queen over Caleb on. I know. And I totally see the, uh, the reasons why and everything. I'm just, I'm banking on more upside. I know Caleb only had like nine and a half sacks in his production at LSU, but I think there are variables that control that. I think he has just a lot of potential. A lot of people kind of link him with for former LSU, uh, Daniel Hunter. He's, I don't believe he's as big as Daniel Hunter was, but he's, I, I feel chase on athletic ability and just, he, he can play against the run. He gets labeled as somebody who can't, he can, he can play in space. He can rush the passer. I think he can do a lot of things and his upside is just immense. So that would be an interesting option at 12. Yeah, and, and I totally get it. I mean, I think I'm higher on Queen than most. I love Queen. I think he's a top 15 prospect in this class. Um, and I don't see inside backers like him a lot. I really feel like he's just so scarce. He just, he to me, like when I, he was a guy who I actually really changed during on the process. At, at the beginning, I liked Murray over Queen. And as I kind of worked my way through, I don't even think it's close. I have Queen considerably higher than Murray. And Queen just has everything I want on, on that. And that awful linebacker position in the middle, the instincts, the speed, the aggressiveness as a blitzer, and then the ability to drop in coverage too. I just love Queen. So, and now again, like, do I like him that much more than someone like Willie Gay? I don't know because Willie Gay's so good. So, like, if you get him at thirty, this all kind of comes back to it for me, Nick. I think I, I would turn that trade down. I don't think I would do any trade that doesn't get them one of these four OTs or Simmons. No, nah, I totally agree. I just wanted to do the hypothetical. Yeah, it's a great hypothetical. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, talk about prospects that are are in a range that we haven't really touched sure. on because it just don't fit into what the Giants are probably going to have available to them in the right range. Exactly. Yep. And so anything else that you found interesting from the pre-draft presser, like something, in, you know, maybe along the lines of where Gettleman was talking about, you know, not not really committing even this year to Nate Solder, I thought was interesting personally. I thought it was interesting how they said they haven't decided yet on the fourth or pick. Anything there stand out to you? I mean, it just seems like if you take the whole pressers collectively, it seems like it would lend to them going tackle with some of the things they have kind of yeah. insinuated. I mean, they brought up Gates at center. I mean, I think that was a question, but also they're not, they really, in the first presser really talked about how Solder struggled this season. Like, there's no doubt about it. He struggled this season and like Gettleman kind of hammered that home. And I just, Gettleman, he's not dumb. He gets labeled as dumb. He's not dumb. He knows that the Giants need an offensive tackle. He knows the Giants haven't really had a long-term offensive tackle. And you have four of them to choose from. I just think that after listening to the pressers, I think the Giants are going to go tackle, man. And honestly, it's the wise move to do, given the current state of the team. Yep. Um, for for sure. I mean, listen, like like we said on this podcast in depth and at length, we've kind of both come around to this, Nick. So... That's where we're at now with the number four overall pick. We hope you enjoyed this show. We kind of wanted to update where we are at, where we were, just so we have it all on record so nobody comes back and kills us. No, that's not why, but just so we can be transparent and clear about everything. But this is the first of what we hope will be a series of podcasts to drop once a day, every day leading up to the draft. And obviously our plan for the draft is going to be a little different. Me and Nick are going to record a podcast every night to recap, then 
going into next week, the week after the draft, we'll probably be doing more full analysis based on the film we have to watch, what we learn along the way, give out grades, things of that nature. But this will be the first of a one-per-day pod, maybe even more. We'll see what we can do. I mean, we're both super busy right now with other things, but we're trying our best to crank out content. because we One, because we love doing this. It's just literally just fun for me and Nick. And two, because we want to provide you guys the content that you're asking for, the content that you've proven or you know over these last months or so that you that you still want despite coronavirus and despite the state of the Giants franchise which is a perennial loser for the last few years but everyone still has faith which is great and you're keeping your hopes up and we like that too so on my end I've got nothing else today Nick you have anything else you want to want to say before we wrap up today's show now this was a fun show and hey guys we're less than a week away from the 2020 NFL draft so get ready it's going to be a fun ride no doubt. And last thing, last thing I'll always say before we wrap up every show, if you guys want to do us a simple favor to help grow the show, just make sure you hit the download button on any podcast you listen to. And in, if you can, any podcast in general, we're graded on the downloads if you want to use the word grade. Um, and do us a favor and just rate and review and subscribe to us on, on, on your podcast app, whatever you use, iTunes, Spotify, whatever it may be. If you can do all that, that's all we'll ever ask. And we really appreciate it. Anyone who wants to drop a five-star review, or anything like that with a, with a comment. That's also something we really appreciate. Um, maybe we'll do something, Nick, where we start like reading these out or something. I don't know. Read out some of the reviews. I don't know. Just to make it more interactive. We'll, we'll think of something on that regard. But those of you who have actually reviewed and rated and rated and reviewed us, we really do appreciate it. You know who you are. Um, some of the recent ones from Client9, Scott Yanofsky, MQ Riley, uh, just some awesome reviews. They really, me and Nick take the time to read these, and those of you who are putting time into writing them, we appreciate it because it, you know, it makes us feel good about the product we're putting out there. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Let's let's hope the Giants get a blue chip prospect here. Let's hope they shoot up this offensive line, and let's hope they can uh, play football in 2020 and play it effectively. No doubt, Nick. All right. On that note, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great rest of your weekend.